I think a lot of it is, do we have the right people embracing change and challenge? The lovely thing about Google is we're full of innovators. It's just a culture where people are always thinking of new things to do. And I think in order to really embrace this change in the way that insurance works, we kind of need a cross between curious George and Bob the Builder. And we really don't have that in the insurance industry. Instead, we've got insurance people sitting over here and we've got tech people sitting over here and they're talking different languages and they can't see that actually this is the way to go. Hello, Matthew Grant here. Okay, it's still August, so we're allowed some fun stuff. Now, you're going to find out what Bob the Builder and Curious George are all about in a moment. But that was Alison Quinlaven, you just heard, one of our great guests on this podcast, which was reported live at Lloyd's and put together thanks to Optolytics. The topic of the discussion was, is real-time pricing and risk management achievable? But when Robin Merton is in the chair and you've got a panel of this quality, you know it's not going to stay on script. But hang in there, though, because there's some excellent observation and advice in here for you. Now, we're using some generative AI ourselves to help with extracting content from the podcast. So I asked you what Alison meant by Bob and George, and this is what it told me. The relevance of Curious George and Bob the Builder is mentioned in relation to the need for a cultural shift in the insurance industry. The panelists discuss the importance of embracing change and challenge, and how the insurance industry needs individuals who are both curious and willing to build and innovate. Curious George represents the curiosity and willingness to explore new ideas and technologies, while Bob the Builder symbolizes the ability to take action and implement those ideas. The panelists believe that a combination of curiosity and action is necessary to drive the industry forward and adapt to the changes brought about by data and technology. Well, I'll let you be the judge of whether that's fact or hallucination once you've heard the whole thing, but I reckon that's a pretty good summary. If you're interested in learning more about our collaboration of The Curious and how we can help you solve your insurance problems or tell the world about your technology, then contact any of us, hello at instec.co or come along and tell us in person. 19th September in London, doors open 4.30 for our next event. Details on the website, www.instec.co. Okay, let's get on with our panel. So, my name is Robin Mertens. My day job is to be chairman of Instec, which is a community of insurance innovators. We exist for the curious people who want to know what the future of insurance looks like. Danny kindly asked me to chair this. Thank you for putting it together, sponsoring it, and you know making it all happen, and to Lloyd's for introducing my panel. Danny, he's the founder of Optolytics. To my left, Alison Quinlaven, who is the head of international insurance and captives at Google, looks after and Alphabet's captive insurance companies. To my right, Ruta Mitterskaita, who's from Swiss Re. Her job is to lead the reinsurance solutions team for the PNC side in the UK and Ireland. And then finally, to my right, Chris Mullen, who's the principal product manager for Eigentech. Danny pulled this together. I wrote him a long thing about what he should say at the beginning to set the scene. And he said, I don't want to say that. I want to say something completely different. So say what you want to say. It's yeah. much, probably much better. Yeah. So first of all, thank you to everyone for joining us and, and thank you to everyone for coming here. So I guess we're seeing in insurance kind of big changes coming through. There's data and technology that are combining to create seismic changes. And I think everyone here is obviously seeing there are lots of different pieces that are coming together to make that happen. And that's why the people on the panel that I've chosen are right at the coalface 
of the, these seismic changes. And one of the big areas where things are changing is around risk. And I thought it would be a great opportunity to get everyone together, talk about it. Let's understand what the underlying systems are, what the underlying messages are, and have a discussion about it. Brilliant. The original title you chose for us is Real-Time Risk Management and Pricing Achievable. If it is achievable, I sense that you might have something to be able to say about it. So you risk manage billions in assets. You work for Google that knows a thing or two about data and tech. How real-time and dynamic is your risk management and pricing? And in comparison, how ready for that is the industry itself? So the answer to the first question about how dynamic is ours, not dynamic enough, but not through want of trying. We would really like to have something that isn't an annual renewal with a huge set of data. We'd really like to have something that is affected by behaviours. And, and it's out there already. If anyone's driving a car and they've got the black box, which is measuring how they're driving, and it's there already in certain classes of insurance, but it should be there for so many more classes of insurance. But I think that there's a sort of resistance in the insurance industry from getting away from how it's always been done. And you mentioned the word curious just now, and it just sparked this little thought. You know, I think a lot of it is, do we have the right people embracing change and challenge? The lovely thing about Google is we're full of innovators. It's just a culture where people are always thinking of new things to do. And I think in order to really embrace this change in the way that insurance works, we kind of need a cross between curious George and Bob the Builder. And we really don't have that in the insurance industry. Instead, we've got insurance people sitting over here and we've got tech people sitting over here and they're talking different languages and they can't see that actually this is the way to go because it's not just an advantage for the risk manager because I am able to mitigate my risk. I can lower the premium mid-year. It's also an advantage to the underwriters because they don't have to wait for renewal before they can impose terms. If you're not managing a construction site well, or if you're, your employees are being really dangerous and clicking on phishing links, you can do something about it midterm. We're not doing enough. We need to do more. Is the industry ready for it? Pocket, but not enough. Curious George and Bob the Builder. I love <laughs> <laughs> I always have very intellectual television preferences. <laughs> uh, Rita, I know you're doing business solutions rather than underwriting, but, but I'm going to make you speak a little bit or how you think your underwriters see it. Um, how ready are you? Are they to be dynamic? How dynamic are they now? And if they're not, what do you see as the sort of barriers to all of that? So in the defense of the underwriter, and not because I have an underwriting background, but also because we spend a lot of time talking to the clients. So the clients that are insurers and we have a risk transfer with them, but equally the clients that are outside of the risk transfer relationships and consume some of our capabilities. And I think that, but the reality is everyone wants good data to be delivered to the right people in the organization, be it an underwriter or the portfolio manager or the pricing actuary at the right time. So the intent is there. And if it was all that easy, you know, we could also say wrap up and go home. But I think there are two such troubles with that all. And uh, Alison touched upon one of them, and it probably has to do something with the culture. Because insurance is a fairly close community, a community of the risk takers, the people who are very good in their craft, but equally spent many years in learning, understanding that craft and potentially being a little bit risk averse to change and new things coming up. Now, you know, all this real time data pricing and, you know, writing the risk and writing the policies and whatnot. However... I think there are pockets, as you say, where we have people who want to embrace the change and equally think about the different insurance products and the data that could be useful 
in order to make that happen. The second challenge, I think, is the fact that you can get all the data via all of the intricate systems like Optolytics, for instance, or Eigen, you want, but we also all know that then you need to distribute it. And when it comes to actually writing the business and growing, then there is a whole new world of the distribution partners and people who potentially may not be so quick to change and take those drastic decisions in developing new propositions. Just to push you on that a little bit, you think there's plenty of data out there, but it needs to be in the right formats and distributed in the right way. Have you got the right tech out there, do you think? So we think about it a lot. And the way we think about our data assets that we distribute is, one, we think about how do we combine internal and external data in a way that it is fit for purpose for the user. And the second thing is how do we distribute it in the way that is fit for the time. For instance, using some of the associate partners that just make it much easier, integrate faster into the underwriting systems of the clients. And I think it's the right way to do it. Whether I would like to see more of that happening? Absolutely, yes. I'm not going to let you off on the culture point quite so lightly. We're going to come <laughs> back to that. Chris, you work for a technology company. You have a more of a technology bent. You have a view, because we've discussed this before, that legacy technology is still a really big barrier to being as dynamic as Alison or others would like. Yeah, 100%. So in my old job, we used to say legacy was the nuclear power station, right? It's hugely expensive to maintain. And it's orders of magnitude more expensive to decommission. And that's, that inherent problem draws everything back. Uh, Alison's uh, story was really relevant back when I worked for an unnamed Greenfield insurer. They had a version of that. A really a company turn up and say, I will plug you into my global nerve center of everything because I want the best possible insurance policy. And this is how we manage our business. And I want you to build something off the back of that. I fell off my chair with excitement. And even though this place didn't necessarily have legacy technology at that point, it still had that legacy mindset of, no, that's too different to what we do today. Even if we could have built a system to do it, we're not comfortable. We quite like the annual put a stamp down, take a big check and then go skiing. They didn't really have that mindset. But for a lot of people, it's a technology. We once built a system that could tell you exactly the exact shape of a building from anywhere in the world using LIDAR and space satellite. We did it with Google, actually. Went and sold it to a bunch of insurers who said, yeah, that's cool. But my system will accept a building being square, round, or other. So you're telling me exactly the exact shape of this building and how that's going to impact all my kind of net cap risk and all fire risk. Is it round or square? So there is a real legacy problem at the heart of this. Mm. People have to spend too much money keeping the nuclear power plant going to build the wind farms. Danny, we speak to several hundred companies a, a, a month. We have, I think, at Instec, a good sense of the themes at the moment. One we're coming back to time and time again is underwriter workbenches and the technology that is designed around getting the underwriter what they want and when they want it and the way they want it. I can't help feeling that has a massive role to play. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing and we know why. Yeah, so we, we've launched an underwriting workbench called Optolytics Quotes. And I guess the, the thinking behind it was we were seeing all these problems. talking to underwriters that were working with these systems that were going from one system to price and another system to get their data and then another system to get the information about the policy. There's too much of that happening. And we thought it's we need to pull them all together. We need it all in one place so that for the underwriter, there's just a single system that they go into, they can see, get all the information at their fingertips straight away. You need lots of different things to be able to build that. So to start off with, and I mean, it's the reason why why these things are, are coming out now. We needed the, the infrastructure and we used Google Cloud to do that. You need the data coming into it. And again, I, I guess you need companies like SwissBreeze, CatNet, 
data to feed into the, the underwriter as they need those risks. And you need to also process efficiencies. And so when the data is coming in via email, you need to be able to process. So, which is stuff that, that are detected, which is, I guess, now you're kind of seeing why, why I chose the panel that I chose. We know these people and they, they provide kind of great tools and systems to enable these underwriting workbenches to work together. And I guess that the aim is to make underwriters' jobs better, to make it much easier for them to do what they do and to make things faster and to have them enjoy their, their work life. Alison, I don't see Google claiming legacy tech as a reason for holding you back. I mean, you're a big user of the Google Cloud for obvious reasons. What other tech have you got? What other tech do you need? You know, how do you see the sort of tech resourcing to make your world a better place? I think it would be great if the insurance community had more of a grasp on the basic use of tech before we even get sexy. Literally before lockdown, one of my brokers was very proud of the fact that he didn't know how to switch on his laptop. And he used to get his team to print everything out on paper so he could look at paper. Well, but there's so many people, including myself, who are not that great with a basic spreadsheet, let alone getting rid of spreadsheets and, and going more sophisticated than that. So I think that we're actually blocked by our own very basic capabilities before we even get on to the more sexy stuff. But, but maybe we can skip that. Maybe we don't need to know how to operate sexy spreadsheets or how to do code because AI is going to be able to do so much of that for us. And I think we need to get rid of the fear of AI. And, and I'm going to go on a tangent now, sorry. I had an amazing conversation with somebody in, I won't say which broker, but we have a multinational program covers 50 plus countries. The placement of it goes beautifully, no problem. But then we come to things like having claims. And then the insurers get a bit twitchy and they'll say, you know, oh, we, you've got a high loss ratio. And I go, oh, really? What's our loss ratio? Then we don't know. You've had a lot of big claims over here. And number one, I'm really surprised the insurer doesn't know what the loss ratio is. And then I go to the broker and I say, so what is our loss ratio? Oh, well, that's a bit tricky because although we manage our overall program, some of it is placed out of India and some of it out of Japan and some of it out of time. And we don't really have visibility on that. So we can only tell you what we place in London. And then because you're on a co-insured program, we can't really tell you your loss ratio per insurer. We can only tell you it per line of cover, all of which is like completely and utterly ridiculously useless to me. And what value is the broker bringing? So I think AI could really solve this for you. I'll get our cloud guys to come in. I think this is a really simple fix. I wouldn't trust AI, he said. He said, goodness, he said, I mean, I've read all the stuff in the paper. It hallucinates. It gives out rubbish. I'm like, I'm sorry, but exactly what quality service do you think you're giving at the moment? How could it be worse? And, and I think that kind of need to, need to embrace those improvements that can be made without us all having to become experts. I started down this road 20 years ago, and I've, I've sort of given up the oh, please, can we get better at this? I'm quite glad that other people are still carrying on the mandate. I, nobody listened to me. Somebody else's turn. Chris, back to you. I mean, you have the, sorry, we're going off piece to Alison set the tone a bit. <laughs> You've got this view, I know, that there's an immense amount of data out there that underwriters don't use much of it. Chris, tell us about what you're finding at Eigen. Yeah, so ultimately, there's almost a fantasy that some extra data will, some third-party data, some wizardry will somehow make the underwriting a much better place. Most underwriters, when you actually ask them how they do their job, when it boils down to, I'm trying to build something to help you price this risk, what do you need to know? 40 things, 50 things. I'm sure underwriters say that it's a real craft, but ultimately they're using quite a small number of data points and then going, they're taking a guess. And I think there's this view that 
lots and lots of additional data would really add to that. And it might do. It might add lots of qualitative and helpful and help them justify their, the heuristics on which they work and they price. If you go right across the market, it's basically 40 or 50 data points that drive everything. It would be great if that was so standard and commoditized that the edge that people got was the extra insight they bring, the extra data that they've combined. But at this point, the biggest challenge for the market is make sure everyone has those same 40 and 50 data points at the same data quality to make the basic bit a lot easier. Ruta, sure, this really is not... It's not that easy, right? Because we really don't know what the price for that risk is. If we were selling pants and knew how much you know, it costs us manufacturing, it was much easier. I think that in essence, the underwriter needs to do or to have three things, right? The first one is to have time to even investigate what that are the additional data sources that could be used. If I'm dealing with a lot of spreadsheets, right, are trying to figure out what the loss ratio is, calling all of the different offices, when do I have time to do it? So I think we're again in solutions think a lot about how do we provide the tools and capabilities, but equally even have a conversation that the teams have time to do that within the client. The second bit is, there's a lot of things changing. We have secondary perils coming in. We do have inflationary pressures. We do have different type of distribution. COVID was more from the blue. So there are a lot of things to take into consideration, again, of what are those additional data points and what insurers like to do is then to validate whether they add value or not. Really difficult to do. And the third thing is probably around, do we need 40 data points or actually it's even possible to do with a three? Yep. And others can run somewhere in the background where it's already, we know those things. And I, I guess we're still not there in terms of clicking the right buttons and getting the answer when it comes to underwriting the risk. Danny, you, I know you've got a bugbear about the industry's reliance on Excel. That's a part of this yeah. problem, isn't it? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, Excel is the most popular legacy system that anyone has. 800 million people use it. I mean, it, it's, the spreadsheets are everywhere in the, in, in the industry. And I guess the problem with spreadsheets is that they don't connect to any other systems. They're all kind of sitting on their own. Very hard to recode into kind of a normal system so you can connect to the cloud and, and all those other things. So it's a, it's a problem. But I guess ultimately underwriters love it. Underwriters use spreadsheets to price things and, and they probably always will. So that's a problem for, for technology and, and taking things forward. But I think the technology has moved on now. So now you, you're able to take those spreadsheets and embed them in systems you're able to get the best of both worlds. You can get a spreadsheet in the cloud that looks like a spreadsheet, but then when you close it, suddenly all the data in it is converted into the stuff that you need to run your cloud business. So for the underwriter, they're seeing a spreadsheet. For the developer, they're seeing code and the ones and zeros that they need. And that means that legacy problem hopefully will get solved. We'll still have a spreadsheet UI and, and interface, but the power of the cloud, if you like. Yeah, you started the going off piece a bit so I'll give, you, give it to you back now because this is an unprepared question. But I listen to all that and I think if underwriters are only going to use a small part of the total available data, some of them, you've got a vast amount of data as a risk manager you can share. Why would you want to share data that nobody uses? I don't. I really don't. And I certainly don't want to share stuff that's publicly available. And I would love to know what the insurer is actually looking at in my presentation. It's not so that I can say to them, hi, you didn't look at this, I'm not ever giving it to you again. It's if the fascination is, I don't know, on which buildings aren't round, and believe me, we have no normal shaped buildings at, at Google, then that's where I'll go and get more information. But I don't want to spend weeks of time collecting data that you don't really need. 
And, and why come renewal? Are we repeating a lot of the information gathering? If we're looking at, at buildings, on the whole, they don't change mammothly from one renewal to the next. We really need to be able to focus on the areas which are likely to have had the change. We need the technology. It says to us, actually, there's been a huge construction project next door to that, or actually, they've rerouted where the rivers are coming and they put a dam there and actually your flood risk has just gone up. We need that sort of, of information to get to the underwriters, not just this huge amount of, of noise. And by the way, I was an underwriter once. I wasn't a very good underwriter, but I was an underwriter. And the bigger the file, the less likely I was to actually spend any time on it because it would stay in my inbox. And this is back in the days of paper. Uh, and it would stay there and stay there. Whereas the short, brief, to the point ones are the ones like, oh, I could get to that today. And so I'd embrace it. And that's really what I want to get to. I want to get to where the underwriter is just getting what they need, not all the noise that's surrounding it. Ruta said I wasn't going to let you off the cultural challenge because my view of life is that there's plenty of good tech and there's a lot of data, although it's not always easy to make that data into usable formats. But I'm afraid that leaves hanging the cultural issue. It's the cultural issue that we've never made the case. I often talk about people learning a trade in an analog era and finding it difficult to make the leap into digital. Is the problem that we, the technology providers and advocates, don't make the case, or is it fundamentally, could we make the best possible case and no one was interested anyway? So it's leaving us with two extremes. And talk about culture. You may think that I'm from Swiss Re, so probably I had 10 meetings even before agreeing to the topic <laughs> name for this discussion or something. It's difficult. It follows you. It also very much depends on what the organization you come into. I mean, Alison talked about Google, and I'm sure that all of us think that the culture in Google is A, but perhaps it's not like that as well. I think we probably need two things. The, the first one is people to encourage the collaboration of the curious and give them time in actually looking for new solutions, new looking for new sources of data and foster that within the organizations. But then equally, the senior management have enough space and time and potentially incentives in order to foster relationships with the companies that come there and say, I can do it better because no one wants to hear that, right? No one wants to hear that someone else can do it better. But actually, you know, have a conversation, try some of the propositions and then incentivize the people within the organizations to engage and then to utilize those technologies. I could say that we figured it all out ourselves at SUS 3, but I'm going to stop there. You've made this point before, Alison. I've heard you, this is a behavioral issue. In other words, this move from give me the data once a year in my presentation to being something miles more dynamic in which you're able to assess risk and price risk as it goes. Well, what's the behavior that we need? The behavior you need from the, the risk management side is that we risk manage real time. And we can only risk manage real time if we're getting data real time. Again, going off piece a little bit, what, one of my bugbears is the way claims get reported. So too often the brokers don't actually want to deal with claims, even though I think our whole industry is, is based on claims. And so they say, oh, look, there's the loss adjuster. Report it in the loss adjuster's portal. So I say to all the people that we work with, all of our stakeholders, Report everything. Don't assess whether you think it's going to be within the deductible because I want a picture of everything because I want to see if there's an emerging pattern. And it might not be where you are. It might be I see it because I'm looking globally. So I want to see all of these potential incidents. So declare it all. So you do that and immediately you get the insurers going, ah, you've got 12 declarations of losses. This is horrendous. And, and of course, they only see them on a quarterly basis because we have a spreadsheet and the spreadsheets only come out quarterly. I need to get that information real time. 
I need to understand what is just good risk management. I need not to panic the insurers. Most people don't declare what's within the deductible, whatever the disclosure terms are on the policy. It would be good to be able to have arbitrage between what's going where so that the right people have the right information at the right time to make the necessary changes. That's not happening at the moment. We just have panics every quarter. And, and if a claim has gone up from a 100,000 estimate to a 10 million estimate, look, why am I finding that out two months afterwards? I should be knowing that immediately so I can go in and say, why? What's happening? Is it a valid claim? What can we do to stop this happening again? But if you wait a whole quarter, you've probably had another three instances in the interim, which could have been preventable. Real time would actually, I believe, really help the underwriters because by me doing a better job, they can do a better job. And we're not just going to waste money on claims. I don't want to make claims. I want my business to be running efficiently. I want my people to be safe. Having claims is not what I want. And it's not what the underwriters want either. So together in real time, we could actually solve the underlying issues that are causing the losses. We've gone nearly 30, 35 minutes without talking about generative AI. Chris, do you want to talk about generative AI? It's quite hard to talk about generative AI because it's two things at the same time, especially for this room. So on the one hand, it's genuinely going to change a lot of shit. Like it, it really, it, like it really is. It's not a joke. It's actually quite scary, the types of things it can do. It's quite scary how fast it's coming on. It's following in the trend of to those that have more will be given. If you are smart, you can leverage LLMs really well. If you don't have intrinsic knowledge, it's just a mystery. It does offer an opportunity, to, to, to Ellison's point of leapfrogging. It is a new way of interacting with other things that's a lot more human. So it will allow people to leapfrog that in foundational technology and use coding and use stuff through an LLM. So on the one hand, it's absolutely terrifying and it gets quite dark quite quickly when you really start to think it through. But on the other hand, for now, it's nothing. For now, it's, it's not ready for prime time. It's got a lot of rough edges. LLMs and AI generally goes after the biggest, most easy to access markets. The models are trained on GenPop, the targets GenPop stuff. FS and insurance and then London market insurance and all of these weird things that we do are so far removed from GenPop that it takes a while for the technology to get to the point where it's useful and usable in these niches. So it's weird because at the one time it's generally terrifying. It's going to change society. It's going to change the type of risks that we face. It's going to change how we run our companies, how we hire people. But for now, it's not that big a deal because it can't handle this kind of world very well. Thank you. And a nice summary of where we are tool in the toolbox for now. It is a tool in the toolbox right now. Danny, we've covered an awful lot of ground there in a short period of time. What what are you dispassionately looking in? How's all this going to change the underwriting views on that? Yeah, I think I do. First of all, I think the technology is something that is a tool for the underwriters. It's not something that replaces underwriters. I, I don't think anyone thinks that anywhere in the market. I think what the new technology is going to do is give the underwriters greater job satisfaction. I think because what it's going to do is it's going to Take all the horrible bits of the job, all the stuff that Alison's been, been talking about earlier, and put it on their desktop where they need it. It's going to do it in a way that makes their job more fulfilling, makes them more valuable to their, their companies as well. And also is going to boost the risk, which means that it's, it's like it has so many different benefits that it's going to bring to the underwriters. I think that the issue, obviously, is that, that underwriters are humans, and they look at this change and they think what's coming is dangerous, it's going to change my job. I might lose my job as a result, but I don't think that is the case. I think the experience of an underwriter and the expertise that they bring to their job is not 
going to be replaced very quickly. In fact, probably not at all. And I challenge any insurer in the market to say, we're going to take on all our risks with no underwriters involved whatsoever. That insurer is going to lose all its capital because all the shareholders are going to take a step back. So I think the technology is going to improve the life of the underwriters and, and their jobs and boost their careers, I would hope. I agree. If Curious George and Bob the Builder really did their thing and created your nirvana, what would it look like? I think it would be a, a world where we're really focused on risk, not admin, where we can see our brokers adding value through their technical skill sets, where we're not seeing brokers and insurers compete on tech, but literally embracing tech as a means to do their job better so that we can really concentrate on what, we, what we're good at, what our profession actually is. My profession was not go and gather all this data from all over the place and put it in neat columns. You know, that, that wasn't what I left university aspiring to be. Actually, I wanted to be an actress, so clearly I've done really well. We're too stuck in, in really unexciting things, and that's stopping us as an industry moving forward. And I think that really here in the UK, we have such an amazing opportunity. I worked in the States for 18 years. It's very spread out. You want a meeting to innovate, and it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. In about three months' time, we could all fly to New York, and we could all get together, and we could spend half a day. And then maybe in six months' time, we could meet again. Goodness, we could meet every day of the week for a coffee and sort things out here. And if there's really a will to change things, this is the place to change it. And with all we've gone through with Brexit and with us being just a little bit old-fashioned in, in many ways, we really have the right place to collaborate in real time to bring about real-time underwriting and risk management. And I just don't think we should miss that. We shouldn't let anybody else take that from us. Good speech. That wasn't on the script either. Ruta, do you want to add to that? Because we, we work together anyway. I know you guys are doing a lot of things with that purpose to make underwriting easier, not just for you, but for everybody. Absolutely. A lot already said, but I think that time element and actually allowing people to do it, but also having people who would actually spend that time on this specific purpose. I think, you know, my Nirvana would be more diverse workforce, more diverse from the all sorts of things, but also including backgrounds. And especially someone that's, so say, technical skill set and also really integrating those people within their organization. And then uh, more urgency to act. Because I think that, in essence, things are changing. If I ask everyone in the room to, to say whether they see things changing, probably everyone would do. But is it changing fast enough? I think that that real sense of urgency that probably companies such as Google has, I'm not sure we're quite there in the insurance. Okay, we're getting near the end. I'm going to leave the last word with Danny. A lot, a lot has been discussed today, so I'll try my sense of it. I guess, to me, the key thing is about the humans involved in the process. When technology comes in, you know, you have to have to think about what the humans do. Alison's kind of questions around admin and how we can address the admin issues so we focus on the risk. There's discussion about the culture of people and the organizations and implementing the, the technology. And Chris's discussions around generative AI and, and the dark side of it. Ultimately, it's all about humans. We're all humans, and, and the technology that comes in has to help us. It has to help us do our job better, enjoy our job better, go home at the weekend and have time to play with the kids. Technology has to help us and, and make that, our career better, and ultimately has to help the companies that we work for as well. What I really wanted to say is thank you to, to everyone in this panel. I really appreciate everything that you've done, and, and, and I also want to say thank you to Janice, who's organized everything. Well, not much more I can add to that. 
We're here to help you at Instec. Contact us, hello at instec.co to find out about membership and how you too can be on the podcast. That's it. We're done.